Hello, everyone. I'm Jerry Nowicki with Capital News Illinois, back for another installment of our Perspectives on Progress podcast series, today talking with Senator Jacqueline Collins, a Democrat representing parts of Chicago and some of its south and southwest suburbs. She was a journalism major at Northwestern and worked at CBS for 20 years. She served the state Senate's 16th district since 2003. Our discussions touched on a number of topics, including what legislation she will work on to promote racial equity, what she would like to see from the governor, and how she believes the news media should treat matters of racial equity. There's one point of our conversation that might require a little background before we dive in, and that is Senator Collins' discussion of the Kerner Commission. That commission was formed in 1968 by President Lyndon Johnson to investigate the causes of the 1967 race riots in the U.S. and to give recommendations going forward. While its full name is the National Advisory Commission on Civil Disorders, it's more widely known as the Kerner Commission, so-called because it was chaired by Illinois' then-Governor Otto Kerner Jr. Collins said the findings of the commission illustrate the point that black people have for years been fighting against structural inequities and racism, and that recent protests are a manifestation of that history. She quotes from the report in our discussion, and she also suggested that I read it. So when I was looking through, one of the quotes really stood out to me, and that is, what white Americans have never fully understood, but what the Negro can never forget, is that white society is deeply implicated in the ghetto. White institutions created it, white institutions maintain it, and white society condones it." End quote. The commission also made recommendations in the report, and those include opening up opportunities to those who are restricted by racial segregation and discrimination, and eliminating all barriers to their choice of jobs, education, and housing. Removing the frustration of powerlessness among the disadvantaged by providing the means for them to deal with the problems that affect their own lives and by increasing the capacity of our public and private institutions to respond to these problems. And increasing communication across racial lines to destroy stereotypes, to halt polarization, end distrust and hostility, and create common ground for efforts toward public order and social justice. That commission was formed in 1968. So with that said, here's my discussion with Senator Jacqueline Collins. Okay, so the first question we've been asking is, what goes through your head when you see a video like that of, of George Floyd being killed? First of all, it's emotionally exhausting. Because when I saw the video, and I can only watch it once, I didn't want to see it played over and over again. I only had to see it once for it to be uh, uh, ingrained uh, in my brain. Um, it was such an emotionally uh, traumatic experience for me, but it, it was not just the video of George Floyd's death. Uh, but it was in recognition that within that the last 30 days, uh, black people had been reminded of 500 years and how devalued and disposable uh, black people continue to be due to the racism that I think has infused and continues to be perpetrated in our nation's culture. Because within those 30 days, it was it, I was reminded of the, the violence that continuously threatens us 
Uh, we had Armand Arbery shot while jogging, Brianna Taylor shot while sleeping. We also had uh, Mr. Cooper being accosted in uh, Central Park. So it brought all those, it was, it was just the piling on. Um, and then on, in addition to that, we had the, the inequities revealed in the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. What do you think leadership needs to do at this point, and what do you think are the next steps you could take as a legislature? Well, I think a, an executive order would, I think, uh, advance uh, some policies that going through the legislative process might be too time-consuming. So an executive order, I would think, would be applicable in the case. Uh, but also, I think we need um, a declaration, a disaster <laughs> proclamation. Uh, taking in consideration um, the uh, ongoing governmental policies uh, that have negatively uh, impacted uh, this, the black community and, and other marginalized uh, populations uh, in the state. Uh, this didn't just, um, everything that we're seeing come to fruition uh, is uh, very much like what the Kerner Report or the Kerner Commission uh, uh, explained uh, back in 1968. Nothing has changed, and it's been 50 years or more uh, since the report. But even then, um, they said that it was the white racism, um, not the black anger so much, that it turned the key that unlocked urban American turmoil. And I agree with them. Uh, they also said that uh, it was a recent uh, New York Times article, and they said that in the Kerner report, it said it, uh, the situation that we're encountering today, white institutions created it, created it, white institutions maintain it, and white institutions and white society condone it. And I believe that's true today because we've never, as, uh, as a country, we've never dealt with the reality of the uh, aftermath or the effect of slavery. Uh, the roots of slavery continually uh, spreads its tentacles uh, through uh, American society. We see it with the lack of health care access for black for blacks, uh, the inadequate funding of education, the, um, the mass incarceration, um, the over-reliance or the lack of capital investment in African-American communities. Uh, WBEZ just did a study, and that's what I'm very much interested in as far as policy moving forward because I chair the Senate Financial Institutions Committee. And out of their report, they made some very damaging um, statistics, provided some quantitative information on how black communities have been uh, hugely disinvested, and they indicated for every dollar banks loaned in Chicago's white neighborhoods, they only loaned 12 cents in the city's black neighborhoods. So that, to me, is an issue on a policy I would like to change and see what I can do in, in reference to that disparity, because it continually widens the wealth gap uh, between uh, white and black communities. And you know Chicago is very segregated. Uh, and so we 
definitely in black communities, they're like isolated islands where you see mass uh, deterioration, disinvestment, uh, and lack of capital for our black businesses as well as for home ownership. And that grows out of a whole historical framework of racial zoning, redlining, uh, racial covenants on the West Side, um, even the subprime mortgage issue where certain communities were targeted with subprime loans. Does this become even more important as some of the communities try to come back from some of the property damage that has occurred in the last month? I think it's unfortunate that certain people took the opportunity to destroy, to loot. In no way do I condone it. Uh, but again, as the Colonel report said, it was almost like um, it, uh, the looters have been viewed as the victims, whereas the, the, those who have created the policies that sort of undergirded the lack of hopelessness within communities, where many people, many uh, of our youth felt there was nothing to lose. And so when you fail to educate a population, um, and when they feel they have no future, when they see their friends and their family members incarcerated or killed, uh, they feel that they have, they're not, they're not invested in society because they have been pushed back. They've been told that you have no worth. They've been devalued. So the anger, there's a root to the anger, the angst and the anguish that we see in the streets. And nobody really wants to deal with the root cause. They always want to deal with the aftermath of it. But violence is the birthmark of this country. The Boston Tea Party, the American Revolution, was a matter of revolt and rebellion against what they felt was oppressive English control. So when any people feel pushed to the margins, when they feel the oppressive uh, policies that continually to marginalize them and cut off their uh, uh, yeah, possibilities of uh, uh, future uh, productivity, uh, you're going to see the uprising. But in terms of your financial institution focus, how does it become even more important as we try to rebuild some of those businesses and some of those communities? We want the businesses, the, the small businesses that were uh, fell prey to the looting. We, it took almost 20 years for us to bring in the Walgreens, to bring in the Bank of America, uh, bring in Citibank, bring in uh, Home Depot after 1968 riots or rebellions. And so we want to ensure that they, this is not a time for them to um, uh, uh, curtail their efforts or to, to pull out of the city, to pull out of the urban community. It's more of an emphasis for them to come back with investment, for, especially for the banks. When the small businesses, there's very difficult for black businesses to get the capital to maintain their businesses. And so this is an opportunity for the lending institutions to allow the capital to flood into the community for the rebuilding, for the re reinvestment, which has been lacking before. So even now it's even more a desperate situation. And so their assistance and their capital investment is more needed now more than ever. Is there a specific way to make these changes or a form that a bill will take if you are going to push for something like that? Well, you know, the banks always fall back on the, uh, uh, the CRA, which, and they always, 
want to say that uh, they sponsor various events. Uh, but we need, it's not the money being poured into those events where they get their name plastered <laughs> over a banner. Uh, you know, they, they go to the National Urban League, they go to the uh, Rainbow Push events, and they buy tables. We want to see the investment on the ground level in the community. And whatever that means, uh, it means that they cannot uh, negate their role in creating the conditions of certain communities where there has not been investment. So when you have um, uh, four high foreclosure rates, um, deteriorating property, uh, because there's no money to invest in the repair and maintenance of property when you can't get a loan. Um, so we want banks to come in to be committed uh, to working with uh, the people that are already on the ground, the various organizations that are on the ground working every day, seeing the problems, um, and what we need is capital. So one of the statements in the, the WBEZ article, and I'm going to try to pull it when I'm talking to you, was amazing. Um, and I think it's a very uh, striking. So it, it says, lenders invested more money in majority white Lincoln Park than they did in all of Chicago's majority black neighborhoods combined. And that's a startling statistics. Wow. Is there a way you can compel that through legislation? You know, I'm researching it now. Uh, I'm researching it now. I, I was involved in um, the major push to keep people in their homes during the subprime, uh, subprime uh, mortgage crisis. I put in legislation to prevent foreclosure without mediation and modification. Um, and so it's going to take me looking um, maybe across the, the, the um, other states to see if there's any best practices where the lenders have been more engaged and where, mother, where other organizations have already laid out the template or provided the template. Uh, it might be very difficult. Uh, I, I must say that credit unions have been more willing to work within uh, the communities uh, as well as community banks, but it's the larger banks that tend to drive the agenda. For banks, that's like J.P. Morgan and Chase, um, Bank of America. They tend to overwhelm uh, the smaller banks in the agenda going forward. Uh, that's through the Illinois Bankers Association, so they're all members of that. So uh, it's going to be an uphill battle, but it's a challenge that I'm willing to take on. So, working with your colleagues, um, do you need to see more from? white Democrats or even your Republican colleagues on this issue? I believe that, um, as you know, uh, the black community, the black women especially, have been the undergirding of the Democratic Party. And I would hope that we need the Democratic Party leadership uh, to take a stand or have a statement. I haven't seen a from the Democratic Party per se. Overall, I have not seen a statement. I've seen the individual remarks by some of my legislators, the congressmen, the Black Caucus. But this is an issue that everyone, especially the Democratic Party leadership, need to speak out on. 
um, you know, for many in the African-American community, we feel that the Democratic Party takes us for granted. There's no vote that comes out of the Illinois General Assembly uh, that the Black Caucus uh, has not supported our other colleagues, whether it's the LGBT community or it's the um, Hispanic community. Uh, we've been there for the immigrant community. We would like to see reciprocity. We would like to see the, they engage us on the issues that are important to us and not for us just to be there for their issues. And then I was going to ask, what can we do better um, in terms of changing the national conversation, maybe? And what do you need to see from us as members of the media? But, uh, I think the uh, the um, the continual um, focus on the looting uh, we lose the message. That is not the message. That is not the principal reason that our youth are out in the street and other millennials are out in the street. First of all, I'm very encouraged uh, by what I see with the youth leading the challenge for change, questioning the status quo. Um, that's how society moves forward throughout history. It's been the youth that have been in the streets during the Vietnam War, uh, during the Civil Rights Movement. So I'm so proud to see our youth engaged in the process, how they've being able to raise their voices in the public square. That is a defense for democracy. That's how we survive as a democracy, and that's how we fulfill the promise of America. So but what I think the media needs to do, because I'm a, a product of the media, or not a product, but I worked in the media, uh, I was very concerned about the over-sensationalizing uh, the need where we used to say, if it bleeds, it leads. So there's a tendency to run to the fire. Um, in t instead of uh, dealing with the, the issue itself uh, because of the heavy influence of advertising and marketing and ratings. So I, I, I think the best work is done when the media outlets or the, the, the uh, organizations allow the reporters to do deeper digging, um, to do the more investigative work, uh, to really educate the public and not just to tantalize them uh, with sensationalism, uh, with, uh, you know, the, the play on the, the emotions, let's say, or, or uh, they need to be more substantive. The stories need to be more substantive, but I know you can't do anything in the time limit they give you, but I think the media needs to over... Don't make the story about the looting. Make the story about the cause and how we move to solutions and how we really have a true critical conversation about race. It's, we need to move out of our comfort zone. We need to push people to move out of their comfort zones and deal with the race issue. And until we do that, we're going to see it's going to be a cyclical uh, occurrence of these rebellions. So as we have this conversation, are there questions that I'm not asking or areas that I'm not touching on that you think are needed for us to talk about to drive the conversation forward? I think it's, you know, what I think is so commendable is that you're asking the questions. You're actually coming to the people um, uh, and asking for a direct response instead of interpreting what we're saying. A lot of times our voices are not heard in the media. Um, one of my complaints basically in media and covering uh, the Black Caucus members is we very seldom get coverage for the work that we've done in Springfield 
all the progressive legislation that's come out of Springfield, for the most part, has been at the at, at the behest um, of black caucus members, whether it's the raising of the minimum wage, uh, the, the uh, requirement for uh, police cameras, uh, so uh, getting rid of the death penalty, uh, equal work, equal pay for women. So I think usually we get overshadowed by the person who's signing the legislation <laughs> instead of the people who actually debated, argued, and worked um, through the legislation, through the General Assembly. And that's, and that's part because the uh, most people don't understand, you know, it's an enigma of what actually what's how the sausage is made in Springfield, you know, and so they, there's a tendency to either just talk to leadership uh, instead of the, the sponsors of the legislation. And I find, personally, I find somewhat offensive is that usually uh, black legislators don't get any uh, media coverage until they're involved in some criminal <laughs> criminality or some criminal uh, uh, event. So I guess, do you have any closing thoughts um, you think people need to hear on this subject? I have, I have hope that because the daily reality of what we confront as African Americans in society, I'm hoping that because we were held hostage in, in shelter, in place, uh, that people actually were able to get an inkling of what we have been encountering over the last 500 years. Um, I think for many years, blacks have been trying to bring up the issue of police brutality, abuse. We tried to raise it with um, the Burge uh, torture um, uh, cases. Um, and it was only the work of some very progressive attorneys uh, that continued the fight. Um, and so I'm hoping that people realize now, or a window has opened into the reality that uh, we encounter as African Americans. Uh, and I'm hoping they're willing to be people of goodwill to join with us uh, in carrying on the struggle and the fight for change. This has been our 10th installment of the Perspectives on Progress series a special edition of our Capital Cast podcast. Our theme music was composed by Kevin McLeod. Thanks to Senator Jacqueline Collins for taking the time to speak with me. I'm Jerry Nowicki with Capital News Illinois, a statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation. Thank you for listening and check out capitalnewsillinois.com for more on this series and our other coverage of statehouse matters. <laughs>